How are y'all? Good, good. Hey, praise God for that work being done. Um, and also, thank you for uh, praying and for giving and for supporting. Uh, God, it really is doing a great work there. I know that they now have about 26 people that are meeting in their house church. Um, and so God has just been multiplying them in really cool ways. And uh, if I'm honest with y'all, I think the Lord is going to blow our vision of 100 national churches, 100 international churches completely out the water. Like, I think that we're going to get to see so much more work done. And so uh, I mean this when I say this, thank you for being a part of this, a part of church planting. Um, like, really praise God that we get to be a part of something that is bigger than what we ourselves can do as individuals. Amen? Like, collectively, we get to be a part of really seeing the world come to know Jesus as we partner together, as we give, as we support, uh, as we play our part in the kingdom of God. And so uh, I'm excited to see what God continues to do uh, through that. All right, y'all ready to get beat up in Jonah 4 again? All right. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, Jonah 4 is where we are at this morning. Uh, we're going to camp there the whole morning, so you can feel free to sit there. Um, if you have your phone, you can pull that out, uh, and you can follow along on the Uversion app or uh, in the link that is on the screen, and that way you can kind of see the notes and what we're reading, stuff like that. If you need a Bible, if you would raise your hand, the ushers are going to come forward uh, and give you one. If you do not have a Bible, I would encourage you to just raise your hand and take keep that. That's our gift to you. We want you to have the word uh, because we are feeling generous. If you want a nicer Bible, then on the connect page, go type in, I want a nice Bible and we'll give you a fake leather Bible. All right. We ain't giving you no real leather because them bad boys like 300, all right? But uh, we'd love for you to have the word, be able to use it. We say this every week because we mean it. We want your eyes on the word. Uh, I want you to be able to see that this isn't me just coming up here saying something, but we really believe this is God's word speaking to us about how he wants us to interact with him and to interact with those around him. So would encourage you to follow along, all right? Also, <clears throat> if you have not been following along with Jonah, I would encourage you to actually go back and to listen to the sermons that we've done so far um, and kind of catch up because I've been convicted in a mug in this book. Like this bad boy has been kind of slamming me left and right. And last week, what we saw is Jonah went and he preached to the city of Nineveh and by God's great grace, that whole city repented. Like that's an unbelievable statement, right? Like Jonah gave the worst message on earth to one of the worst people that's ever lived on earth and the whole entire city uh, repented of their sin. <clears throat> like, do you ever think about that? Right, like, like 120,000 people are coming to know the God of the universe because of a message given. God, he bestowed grace at their repentance because God always gives grace when people are repentant before him. That is the character of our God. He always extends mercy and grace toward those who humble themselves before him. And so we left off last week looking at Nineveh, looking at their response, seeing all of their repentance. But what about the main character? What about Jonah? How did Jonah handle this great grace of God, this great act, this great mercy of God, this unbelievable moment of being used by God to see this unbelievable redemption? What was Jonah's posture like? Well, let's read. Jonah chapter 4 and beginning in verse 1. It says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Jonah did not respond well, not at all, okay? And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? 
that this is why I made haste to fl- or, or that why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, several things here. Firstly, notice the contrast between God and Jonah in just these first two verses. In chapter 3, verse 10, it says that the repentance of Nineveh, it pleased God exceedingly. He was satisfied. He was glad at their repentance, but it displeased Jonah. Not just displeased him, it displeased him exceedingly. Like he was overly mad at their repentance. Uh, it says that God is slow to anger. In fact, Jonah says this with his own words word, and yet we see Jonah here being quick to anger. Right away, he's moved toward frustration. Jonah actually gives an unbelievable testimony about God in chapter, or in verse 2. He highlights the character of God in really beautiful ways and who he is, but this character of God makes Jonah angry. He's frustrated at God's character. He's angry that God is responding like this. Jonah is still highlighting his racist or his nationalistic kind of tendency once again using I pronouns and my country, he says here, as if Israel is not God's people. But he says, hey, when I was in my country, and in contrast, God's heart is for all the nations. In fact, God's heart has always been for the nations. In fact, the only reason that God called Israel is so that they would be a blessing to the nations around them and draw the nations into intimacy with God. And so he has always been a God of all of the nations. And here we we see Jonah shifting on that very different than God. See, Jonah is exclusive and he's selfish, thinking just about himself, but God is inclusive, not thinking about himself, but literally bending down toward humanity that he might redeem humanity. Like the contrast between Jonah and God right off the gate is really unreal in a sense. And so we see this character contrast all throughout the book of Jonah. And really in chapter four is where it blares most clearly Clearly, it's, it's, it's loud in chapter 4 about how different God is than Jonah, okay? And so question for us, do you think that your character is more like God's or more like Jonah's? Do you think you're more like God or more like Jonah? If your neighbor was like, I, I think I'm more like God, scoot a couple inches to the right or to the left, all right? Because they finna get gamored in this mug, all right? <laughs> And so once again, okay, the same thing we said in chapter one, the same thing we said in chapter two, if you identify with Jonah here, if you realize that you are more like Jonah than you would like to admit, then what you will feel is both the weight and the conviction of the text, but you'll also feel the unbelievable grace of God that explodes out of this text if you realize that you are like Jonah. And so my question for us today that I want us to tackle is how is it that we gain the heart of God? How do we gain God's heart? What does it look like for our heart to be transformed and to become like the heart of God? Less like Jonah, which is where we would naturally bend towards, and more like God, which is where God is trying to draw us to. See, the contrast between Jonah and God is deep, but it continues to travel as we go throughout this passage. You see, Jonah has a terrible view of God and of the justice of God. See, despite the fact that God, by that very 
very same grace and mercy that Jonah is mad at actually saved Jonah in chapter two with that same grace and mercy. But when it's personalized toward Jonah, he's happy about it. He lifts up a prayer to God, but when it's extended toward his enemies, Jonah gets frustrated and he's mad at God. And so he has a really bad view of God's mercy, his grace, or even his justice. Jonah, though he repents and comes to Christ, is not being transformed into the image of God or into the image of Christ. His heart is not aligning with God's heart. And so just because somebody uh, is a Christian doesn't mean that they understand or rightly value or rightly love God and align themselves with God. They can still be acting in their sinful, fleshy nature. In fact, we often do that. I often act in that. Just because someone got saved by a fish doesn't mean they go on and become fishers of men, right? Like we gotta realize, man, God is doing something to Jonah here. He's trying to draw him. They don't just love the person of God and the work of God naturally. There's still work that God has to do on our heart. In fact, in chapter or verse one, it says it displeased Jonah exceedingly. That word there is actually, it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. It's the exact same word that God uses to describe the Ninevites in chapter one, verse two, and in chapter three, verse eight, that their evil had come before them. Remember, we talked about Nineveh, how they were the most violent, the most wicked, the most inhumane people in really all the earth. And so Jonah says that God is in the same boat as the Ninevites for forgiving the Ninevites. He says that God is just like Nineveh. Bruh, (laughs) he's tripping in this mug, right? Like Jonah has no idea what he's talking about. Jonah is calling God as wicked as the Ninevites. You see the contrast here between Jonah's theology, what he thinks about God, how he responds to God, but this is all coming because of how Jonah views God based on the scriptures. Although Jonah is quoting the scriptures here in verse two, he's literally quoting something that's from the text. Even though he's quoting the scriptures, he's interpreting them incorrectly. He's not being able to understand how they line up. So Jonah missed the heart of God because he misunderstood the scriptures. He wasn't able to interpret them correctly. See, Jonah wanted God to be gracious and slow to anger and rich in mercy and all that stuff toward himself when he was drowned in the sea but he didn't want that to extend to his enemies as well. And so what Jonah does is he quotes scripture back to God in Jonah's anger. Just because someone is quoting scripture doesn't mean that they're actually quoting scripture. You tracking with that? Right, like, like don't be duped by that. Just because people are using the word of God doesn't mean that they can't begin to bend it to fit in with their own selfish or personalized agenda and begin to align the word of God with their own word, therefore not following the word of God at all. That's what Jonah's doing here. See, Jonah's missing out on God's judgment towards evil because he's painting a way too simplistic picture of God. He's painting as if God isn't just, as if he's not going to punish sin rightly. He's taking this verse completely out of context and then viewing God incorrectly because of his interpretation. Jonah is using scripture to justify himself. Family, anybody can use scripture to justify themselves. Satan did it. When he was arguing with Jesus, he's using scripture. And so just because we are using the word of God doesn't mean we're interpreting the word of God. We have to be careful because if we misinterpret scripture, we're going to completely miss the true heart of God. 
We're gonna miss him in his holiness or miss him in his grace. We'll miss him in his justice or we'll miss him in his mercy. We will miss God if we are not careful with how we interpret God's law, if we try to always align it to our interpretation. Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York and an author, he says this about the Bible. If we feel more righteous as we read the Bible, we're misreading it. We're missing its central message. We are reading and using the Bible rightly only when it humbles us, critiques us, and encourages us with God's love and grace despite our flaws. See, Jonah's missing this. He's not encouraged by God's grace, nor is he able to understand God's mercy towards others. Like, if the word of God never makes you upset, Okay, or if it never irritates your flesh a little bit, then maybe you're not following the word of God. Maybe you're following the word of you. Maybe you're interpreting it the way you want to interpret it because the word of God, it often works against our human sensibilities, friend. And so are you following the word of God or are you following the word of your conscience? See, the Bible should begin to rub against us at times because, honestly, God is so much bigger than us. If God somehow fits inside of our little human brain box, then the view of God is very, very tiny. There should be times where we don't understand God and where we don't understand why he would be so merciful or why he would be just in the way that he is or why he would call something wrong because he knows better than we do. We have to align ourselves with God if we're going to see God rightly and therefore gain God's heart appropriately so that we may live the way that God wants us to live. We have to see him correctly. You see, Jonah is mad here because he doesn't understand like he doesn't get what God is doing here. And in some sense, though his response toward God is inappropriate, his misunderstanding, his like lack of ability to get it, it's actually correct. Like God doesn't always make sense to us. <clears throat> That's where faith comes in, where we believe God is better than us. We believe that he's more holy, more just, that he knows what he's doing more than we do. The problem is that this makes Jonah mad because he wants God to be like him. And we often get mad at God because we want God to be like us. Praise God that he's not like you and I. Because if he was like you and I, a lot of y'all be dead up in this joint. <laughs> right? Like, man, God is so much different than we are. But Jonah's missing the heart of God because he wants God to act like him. And so we can often miss the heart of God and we can misinterpret scripture because we want God to be like us instead of wanting us to become more like God. Which version of God do you see here? How is the scriptures interacting? Like, can I get a witness in this mug? Like, man, this is what God wants from us. The one thing that Jonah does, though, that's really, really good here, and maybe the only thing he did good in all of the whole book of Jonah, is he actually goes to God in prayer. Last time, he didn't talk to God at all. He just ran away from God in chapter one, if you remember that. This time, he actually goes to God in prayer. So he's seeking God, which is helpful. And so when you don't understand God, when the word of God does kind of make you upset, when it doesn't always work with your human sensibilities, when you don't understand God's will or what he's doing, do you run towards God or run away from God? If you run away from God, then God's never able to really interact with you unless he forces his will upon you. But if you run towards God and even in your anger or frustration and humility come to him, then you're giving yourself a chance to be able to hear the voice of God that he may correct you in the right way. Do you run to or from God when you're angry at God? Jonah going to God here actually gives himself a chance to hear God's voice. And so this is what happens. Jonah chapter four, let's pick it up in verse three again. 
Jonah's still talking. He says, therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? God gives such a gracious response in verse four, right? Like I would have been like, oh yeah, tough guy? You wanna act all hard? All right, right? Hail, fire, earthquake, whirlwind, ground open up and swallow this dude. I almost went too far back there, dog. <laughs> Detroit, all right. What a, what a gracious response, okay? God has this gracious response toward him. You see, Jonah thought that God was exceedingly evil, but in reality, it was Jonah that was exceedingly evil. It was Jonah that was totally missing it. He was literally cursing at God. The Hebrew word here is like a curse word towards God, and yet God should have destroyed him, and instead, God responds with unbelievable compassion. Like the same compassion that just made Jonah mad. In verse two, he says, you're slow to anger. God once again is slow to anger towards Jonah. The same thing Jonah's mad at, God's responding with because God's character doesn't change just because his people are all wicked, right? Just because we're all messed up doesn't mean the character of God begins to bend towards us. That's where God's very different than us. You see, I'm an awesome father when my my children are behaving and when they're kind of doing what I want them to do. And then as soon as they misbehave and misalign, all of a sudden I go from an awesome dad to like a wicked father right away, right? Because I bend toward the behavior of my kids. I begin to bend toward them. God's not like that. God is slow to anger no matter what. He's compassionate, he's gentle, he's merciful no matter what. So even though Jonah here is acting ratchet than a mug, still God begins to uh, show compassion towards this man. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. If you're alive today, God should have destroyed you, but he has compassion towards you. And now you're sitting here, despite how you've hurt his people, despite how you've cursed him out, whether directly or indirectly, despite how you've lived in apathy, God still sustains your life daily because he is a gracious God. He's merciful, he's slow to anger, and he's rich in love, and he wants you to be able to see that. And yet, like with Jonah, we often don't respond well, but God responds so well to us. What you'll see here in a second is that although God accomplished exactly what he wanted, the saving of a city, like God's will, his whole purpose of the book of Jonah, it was accomplished, and yet and still, God doesn't then just dismiss Jonah and leave him in his own arrogance or folly. Instead, even though God's ultimate heart was to redeem the city, God still will come down and show compassion to the singular person because God cares about every individual as well. Instead of just using Jonah as a tool, God interacts with with Jonah, excuse me, in these really beautiful ways. He bends down and communicates with him. You see, God wants to redeem Nineveh because God is a massive God that cares about the redemption of all. And he also wants to redeem Jonah because God is an intimate God that cares about every person on this earth. He sees the 120,000 and he sees the one. And God interacts with both of them at the same time. There's this intimacy here of God. And so we too should have a massive vision and a massive mission for the heart of God. We should see Austin and say, we wanna see this whole city redeemed and we should see the individual and realize how God is pursuing them as well. Tim Keller, once again, he says this, God does not just accept Jonah and leave him alone. He does not allow Jonah to remain undisturbed in his foolish, wrongful attitudes and behavior patterns. 
He commissions him again and again, and in the end, counsels and debates him directly. Here we see God's righteousness and love working together. He is both too holy and too loving to either destroy Jonah or to allow Jonah to remain as he is. And God is also too holy and too loving to allow us to remain where we are. Preach, my mans. Verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So just like Jonah went under the boat in his anger, now he's going under the tree in his anger as well. Jonah continues to try to hide from God, probably trying to wait to see if the city would actually be destroyed. So Jonah here is trying to comfort himself physically because his soul is spiritually filled with discomfort. Ooh, my, my, my. How often do you try to comfort yourself physically because your soul is in spiritual turmoil? Rather than going to God when your soul is all corrupt and all messed up or angry or frustrated or scared or anxious or whatever it might be, we run to physical comforts thinking they will satisfy the spiritual longing of our heart and the physical comforts never do that, family. And so we're spiritually discomfort, so then we run to pornography and we begin to try to uh, uh, appease ourselves physically in hopes that it will satisfy the true longing of our soul. Or we go on shopping sprees to try to satisfy ourselves. So Amazon be getting all our bread. All of a sudden we long for this, right? Or we go into a relationship thinking that a physical presence of somebody in relationship will satisfy the spiritual longings of our heart. Or we go to Netflix or whatever vices we might have. The physical will never satisfy your spiritual hunger, family. If your soul is malnourished, you need the nourishment of God. Nothing else will satisfy. But we, like Jonah, often will run to our physical comforts as well rather than submitting ourselves back to God. We are more like Jonah than we would like to imagine. We are more like Jonah than we would like to think. And so how do we gain the heart of God? What is, what do, how do we begin to align ourselves with God? You see, Jonah here doesn't have the heart of the Father. He's clearly only thinking about himself. And we often can only think about ourselves and our own comforts rather than thinking about God and what he longs for. Let's keep reading, verse six. So Jonah's in the city. He's mad. He's thinking about himself. Now here comes God. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Important phrase there. So Jonah was exceedingly, there's that word again, glad because of the plants. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. <laughs> you know the Lord was laughing at that, y'all. Come on. He was like, hey, angels, hey, come, come look at this real quick. <laughs> when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. God appointed, God appointed, God appointed is the phrase that's repeated there. God appoints a storm in chapter one. He appoints a whale in chapter two, and now he appoints the plant and the worm and the heat in this chapter. You see, Jonah was missing the heart of God because Jonah misunderstood God's faithful pursuit of him. He misunderstood what God was 
was doing here. He was mad, and he said, that's our second point, by the way. He was mad and said that, man, he was so mad that he wanted to die. He was missing, though, the heart of the Father because he misunderstood how God was actually pursuing him. You see, God is in control of everything around Jonah and using everything around Jonah that he might turn the prophet's heart back to himself. God appoints a huge whale to save Jonah from himself, and now he appoints a tiny worm to save Jonah from himself. The big and the small God is in control of. God will use multiple measures to try to save your soul from your own sinful flesh. In fact, often what God uses to break you is what he also uses to save you. And this is what's happening here in Jonah. Come on now. He's trying to give Jonah his heart. He's trying to redeem Jonah, and I think God does it, as we'll see here in a second. Where Jonah was, though, it was modern-day Iraq, and so it could have reached up to 120 in the middle of the day. Now, if I were Jonah, here's how I'd be missing the heart of God. I would be looking at all of this suffering, and I would be misinterpreting the scriptures and misinterpreting God's pursuit, and I would begin to think, this is God's judgment on me. You see, I sinned. Now God is mad at me. Now I'm suffering, that means that God's judgment is on me. I am being punished because of my sin. Question, is that the gospel? You see, the gospel says that Jesus was punished for our sins, that Jesus is the one that suffered for our sins, that he was the one that stood condemned in our place. So now God is not punishing me, but he is in aggressive pursuit to try to save my soul from myself. And so all of my suffering now is God trying to turn my heart back to him. Don't count your sufferings as punishment from God, even if the suffering is under God's very appointment towards you. See, that appointment of the suffering towards Jonah was actually to get Jonah to see his own idol and to save Jonah from himself. God is still pursuing Jonah here. You see, he used a plant to rise up over Jonah to expose his idols, his selfishness, his pride, his comfort. And then he used a worm to destroy that and then heat to break that very idol that Jonah was wrestling with. God is faithful, as Juhan said last week, He's not just after the city, he's also after the prophet. Now in irony, Jonah here, his attitude is that God would destroy. He says, God, why don't you go destroy Nineveh? If you were a good God, this is what you would do. You would destroy them. And so God kind of answers his prayer and he's like, okay, you want me to destroy? Here you go. He destroyed the plant. And now Jonah's getting a taste of his own theology. In other words, be careful what you pray for. (laughs) Look at your neighbor and say, be careful what you pray for right? You'd be up there like, God exposed his sins to the world. Next thing you know, you want world star, right? (laughs) God is showing Jonah, this isn't punishment. This isn't condemnation. God is showing him that his theology is whack, that his theology is all over the place, and that if God were to act in Jonah's theology, it would be bad for everyone, including Jonah, So therefore, God acts in his theology and in his way, showing that he is gracious and merciful. See, in this, he's not condemning Jonah in anger, but he is pursuing Jonah in faithfulness, family. He's still interacting with Jonah. He is engaging with Jonah in so many ways. God is trying to redeem Jonah's heart here. God may be engaging with you too, family. He just might not be telling you what you want to hear. 
And so you may feel like God's so distant, but maybe he's actually been communicating to you over and over and over again. Pay attention to what God is saying. He may be talking to you. Like when six different men and women of God tell you the exact same thing, maybe that's God's voice trying to communicate something to you. Like maybe you really shouldn't be in that relationship. Right? Maybe your character is all jacked up and you really do need God's aggressive work in your life. Maybe you do need to lay that sin down. Maybe your theology is pretty whack and you need to align it to the scriptures. Maybe you're more gifted than you thought you are, were and your reverse pride is stopping you from being used by God as everybody around you says, go out and be confident in the gifts that God has given you. Maybe you should seek to forgive that person. If the same people are saying the same things over and over, they might be being really good friends. It might be God's very voice to you. You see, look at what God is doing here. Think about how God is interacting with Jonah. He's uh, interacting through revelation. He's speaking directly to Jonah. Sometimes God speaks directly to our hearts. He's interacting through creation. He's literally causing all things around Jonah to try to point Jonah towards something. He's interacting through people because the sailors are saying stuff to Jonah. In chapter one, God is after Jonah. God is not a distant nor an aloof God that doesn't care about Jonah's every movement and interaction. God is not a distant and an aloof God towards you. He is an intimate God that is intricately trying to work in your life to draw you into relationship with him. Family, do you believe that about your God, that he is a faithful God that will pursue you? God is intimate, so he loves the individual. We have to have the right view of God so that we can see this. See, Jonah doesn't have the heart of God, so he's missing how God's heart is actually after him. He's missing what God is doing here. He's so angry, he says, I could just die. Missing what God is doing this whole time. Notice all the brokenness here. I mean, Jonah, the only time he was glad in the whole book is when this plant came up over his head. Only time we see Jonah's happiness in the book. Jonah's missing out on the joy of the Lord here and the heart of God. He's so focused on his own comfort that he's missing the heart of God. I'm more like Jonah than I would like to imagine because I get so focused on my own comfort that I miss seeing the glory of God redeeming a city to himself and I get more mad at God when my comfort is disrupted than I do at the lostness of Austin. You like Jonah? I am. I am. I need God's heart to break me and to move me and to build me into him. Sinclair Ferguson, who is a theologian and a commentator, he says this, do we care more about the items in our gardens the produce of our fields, or perhaps the contents of our garage or home than we do about our fellow men and women and the spread of the gospel to them? Do we care more in the last analysis about our own comforts and plans and about the evangelism of the world in our time? In other words, is your heart more like God's or more like Jonah's? You see, God leaves the comforts of heaven and becomes uncomfortable for our sake. And he asks us to leave our comforts to become uncomfortable for the sake of others. But we often focus on our own comforts only. And so we have a hard time leaving the comforts of our own self-perception to be able to share the gospel with our coworker for fear of what they might think about us. We're unwilling to become uncomfortable for their sake. Or we do not want to uh, give up all of our uh, personal time and our own little, you know, extravagant vacations or whatever it might be to be engaged in the community of God so that we might become more like God and encourage others in that community. 
Or we care more about Black Friday sales and we put more of our money there than we do toward the mission of God. And so we give stingily because we're more focused on our own comfort than we are the whole mission of God. You see, we're more like Jonah than we would like to think. And if any of those comments just kind of did something in your heart, maybe that's God trying to show you too, look, you're kind of like Jonah. Jonah was unwilling to get uncomfortable for the sake of others. He cared more about his own comfort, more about his own nation, more about his own people, more about himself than the mission of God. And so he's missing, therefore, the heart of God. Listen, the longing for comfort isn't bad, family. One day you will be comfortable forever. There will be no more sorrow, no more tear, no more suffering. You'll be rich forever. But God asks us today to become uncomfortable for the sake of others. We ain't there yet. And so while we hope in that future, we live in the present and we become like God that gives up everything for the sake of others knowing him. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to become uncomfortable for the salvation of others? This is God's heart. This is what he is willing to do. I ain't getting no amens or hallelujahs, but I'm hoping you're tracking with that. <laughs> right? Because this is me. I feel it. I felt it this week multiple times when I self-analyzed. I'm more like Jonah than I would like to think. We need to gain the heart of the Father. So here's how he responds. Here's how the book ends. Let's finish it. Verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Almost the same question. He just puts the plant there. And Jonah said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. <laughs> so many jokes. I'm going to leave them. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I, or should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? <laughs> and the book ends. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Alright, I'll explain the ending in a second, okay? I think it's really intentional. But notice the depth here, God's graciousness towards Jonah. Really important here, that word compassion in verse 10 and 11, that word compassion there, it's a deep, deep, deep intimacy that's actually usually reserved for marriage when the two become one flesh, when they cling to one another. That's what that word compassion means there. It means to cling to the other person. Jonah had compassion on the plants. It was, he was clinging to the plant. It was like he was married to the plant is what God is saying. And God had this much compassion on people. Y'all do not miss this. You see, Jonah was missing the heart of God because he missed God's heart for others. Do not miss this, y'all. God is clinging, compassionate, intimately involved. Y'all, God sees himself as one with people that have utterly rejected him. God is so intimately involved with people that it moves him to this compassion, the same way that it moved Jonah to this compassion where he was like, man, I could die because you took this plant. That's how God feels about you and me. He's moved to compassion. He says, man, I could die for them. God is a compassionate God. He's merciful. Don't miss the theology that God is giving us about himself here. God is for you. He loves you. God loves you. Like, tell your soul that, that God loves me. Like, can you say that to your soul and believe it? That God loves you. He clings to you. He's compassionate about you. Family of God. 
This is unreal. He had compassion on Jonah, this arrogant, foolish man who was so off about who God was, and he had compassion against Nineveh, this wicked city that wanted nothing to do with God. God had compassion on both of them. Therefore, even if you came in here today not knowing or caring about God at all, in fact, if you came in here hostile toward God, God is not hostile towards you. He has compassion towards you. He wants you to know him, to love him, because he loves you. God wants intimacy with you. Jonah is married to the plant, and when it dies, he dies. That's what Jonah says here. That's how God feels about you, his people. And when you die, he dies in your place. That God loves you. He has compassion and intimacy. This is why he won't leave Jonah alone. He loves him too much to allow Jonah's heart to be so distant from his heart. And he won't leave you alone either, family of God. He loves you too much to allow your hearts to be distant from his heart. Every ounce of suffering is meant to transform you into his image. And every single joy that you experience is meant to remind you about your true home one day. You see, the letter ends like this, I believe, as most scholars do, because Jonah actually wrote the book of Jonah. It's actually an autobiography. This is why we get so many details. This is why there's actually so much hostility towards Jonah, because Jonah is writing about himself. He's able to kind of throw himself under the bus in a way to say, look, this was my attitude towards God, because I believe that Jonah finally repented. I think he finally got God's pursuit of him. He was able to look back and he was able to see his own heart. He was able to see the folly of trying to run from God in chapter one, the grace of God, yet his kind of uh, prayer in chapter two, his uh, literal lack of care for Nineveh in chapter three. Like, did he only say five or seven words? Maybe he said more, but he wants you to see how foolish he was, how much he did not want to preach to them. And then in chapter four, he sees his own wickedness and he exposes it for us, I believe, because he repented. It's almost like God had an arrow and it was lined up at Jonah. And he says, don't you care? Don't you see all these people? And God releases the arrow and it's coming at Jonah. And then it just ends. And it's like Jonah disappears and it leaps off the page and is meant to hit you and me I say do you have God's heart like this do you care like this is your heart aligned with God for other people for the loss our Nineveh is Austin there are way more than 120,000 people who do not know their right from their left they do not know where they will go when they die they do not know that eternity awaits them that there will be joy forevermore that the son of man paid their price that they can have a relationship with God and there's also much animals because there's more dogs here than kids in Austin <laughs> We're just like Nineveh, okay? Do you have a heart for the city and a heart for the people of the city? God wants to use us to bless the city with the truth of the gospel. Are you willing to be used here? We wanna see Austin transform. I think in order to do that though, we have to see the Jonah that is within us and personally be transformed first. So next week, we'll finish Jonah by looking at the heart of the city and God's heart for the city and how he wants to redeem the city for his sake. But today, I wanna focus on God's heart for the prophet and the individual, me and you, so that the city might be transformed. God wants to redeem Austin, but he's intimate. He also wants to redeem us. And he wants to use you for the sake of his glory. Only when we see that we're like Jonah can we come humbly before God in repentance. Because when you read this, you should be kind of like angry at Jonah. You should be like, what a fool. 
And how could God forgive that, right? Like Jonah's cursing at God. The Hebrew word there is an explicit word. And Jonah's angry at God and he's mad. He's so distant. He's so different from God. How is it that God could forgive Jonah? How could he begin to try to give his heart to Jonah? How can he do this continual work on Jonah's life? How could God forgive? Well, it's because the greater prophet one day came and stood in Jonah's place This book is pointing to our greater prophet, Jesus. You see, the plant saved Jonah from his discomfort, but Jesus got up on a tree as well to save us from our discomfort. Jonah was focused on his own comfort, but Jesus was focused on your comfort. Jonah went out of the city and looked at it in hopes that the city would be destroyed. Jesus was crucified outside the city and looked at it in hopes that it would be redeemed. We have a very different man here. Jonah sulks under a tree. Jesus is willing to suffer on a tree for your sake. Jonah said, I knew that you were a gracious God. I knew that you would keep your promises. And Jesus hops up on a tree and says, I know that you're a gracious God and you will keep your promises. What you say will happen. And Jesus leans on this grace. Jonah doesn't care about the 120,000 people who don't know what they're doing. But Jesus comes and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he wants to extend repentance toward everybody. And Jonah said, it is better for me to die than to live. And you know what? Jesus said the same thing, but he said it for your sake. It is better for me to die that they may live. You see, Jesus is the greater Jonah who had the heart of the Father, who looks exactly like God. He is the very image of God. He displays to us all of his beauty and power as he dies in that cross. Jesus, in every way, is the anti-Jonah, the true and greater prophet, the one that cares about the city and the one that cares about you. And now, if you are in Christ, you have the heart of Christ. The Holy Spirit's been given to you and he wants to activate that in you and kill the old man that is dead in the grave that was crucified with Christ and bring the new man to life until you look just like Jesus on that great day. God will do a work in your life to transform you. He won't leave you alone. Jonah was a Christian, to say it like that, because we see God's pursuit of him. God will not leave Jonah alone. So even if you came in here in the deepest rebellion, man, God is not going to leave you alone if you are his child. He's going to pursue and pursue until we humble ourselves before him and respond in joy rather than in anger towards God. See, hostility was turned against the sun so that hostility would not be poured out on Jonah. Jonah is a representation of us. And Jesus is the greater Jonah that forgives us, that wants to wash us clean of our sin. And once we are redeemed by God, then we too, like Jonah, can write and tell others about the graciousness of God. You see, Jonah writes down his testimony for us to see. Look at how wicked I was and look at how good God is. And God wants us to do the same, to share our testimony with others, to say, man, I was once blind and now I see, praise God. He wants others to see the beauty of God in and through us. And so are you willing to come humbly before God, repentant before him, laying down your life before God and allowing the forgiveness and the clinging compassion of God to pour over you, family of God? He wants you to see him, to know him, and he wants to, he wants to use you. You see, Jonah did, and despite all of his folly, it was not too late for Jonah. And so we can too, despite however we came in here, Maybe you don't know God, maybe you're angry at God, maybe you refuse to see how you're like Jonah, so your pride is building up. Wherever we are, God will not leave you alone because he is too faithful. Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. 
I want to end with this. Leslie Allen, who is a theologian, says this. A Jonah lurks in every Christian heart, whimpering his insidious message of smug prejudice, empty traditionalism, and exclusive solidarity. He that has ears to hear, let him hear, and allow the saving love of God, which has been outpoured in his own heart, to remold his thinking and social orientation. In other words, we love God and then we love others. We socially respond because we love God and we extend that grace toward others. This is what the book of Jonah is. God loves the people around him, the people around us. Do we love them enough to preach to them? God loves you. Do you feel that? Church, would we be a church that loves this city like crazy and that is willing to become uncomfortable that they might hear the gospel? We'll talk about that a little bit more next week, though. Would we also be a church that realizes God's heart is after every individual in this room? And would we come around the individual and walk with them as God works in them to see repentance happen? I need you to walk with me because I am nowhere near the way that Jesus wants me to be. But by God's grace, one day I will be. And by God's grace, one day you will be too if you're willing to be repentant and humble before him and allow God to work in your heart. Let us be a church that does that. Amen? Hey, I love you guys. Let's pray. <clears throat> How do we gain your heart, God? How do we gain your heart? By believing in you, repenting, confessing, laying ourselves down before you. God, I pray for every single person in this room who confesses you as the King and Lord. Would they lay themselves down before you? Would they confess and repent again? Saying that you are God. You are good. Would we be willing to say, I am sorry, God, for my brokenness? help me when we keep submitting ourselves to you. Father, allow us to be humbled before you. God, I pray for the men and women in this room who may not know you. They may have walked in and had bad theology because of bad interpretation of scripture, thinking that you were a judging God or a distant God. Or I pray that today they would want you as their God. Friends, that today you can have a relationship with the God of the universe. If you simply confess, say, God, I want you. I believe in you. I don't even know all what that means, but I want to lay myself down before you. I want you to come into my heart that you can have eternal life. The comforts that you long for await you one day in eternity, and you can be used for something so much greater than yourself. That rather than focusing on the physical comfort, your soul can be nourished if you but come to Christ. God, would you help us who have surrendered to you as Lord to realize our souls can be nourished if we but come to you again. Thank you for another chance to come to you, Jesus. I pray this in your beautiful name. Amen.